Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello and welcome to Absolute Rally, episode three, season 20. I hope you've enjoyed the first two episodes of, uh, I suppose, a very special group of podcasts, really. Really odd time, as we all know. Um, very easy to call them the lockdown specials. I suppose they are in some ways because we really still don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the rally seasons anywhere around the world, really. Obviously, we're seeing reports of, of, of various things supposedly starting towards the end of the year. And, and I guess it's fingers crossed for everybody, but there's a far bigger picture right now, um, which is one of the reasons why we're producing these podcasts. Obviously, um, we are trying to do to raise a little bit of money. We've seen some incredible donations, some very kind donations from do- from uh, listeners that uh, we've shared uh, some that we've not shared because they've asked us not to so it's very humbling to put these podcasts together really with the help of obviously all the guys as usual and Alistair and you know we're all trying to do something um, more than just putting content out because we appreciate there's tons of content out there at the moment it's probably more content than ever before in some ways but um, you know we're trying to do something a bit special not just put content out we're trying to put content out to try and generate something and, and try and support the first line services that are looking after us throughout this this terrible time um, this week's podcast is with somebody who has been on absolute rally many many times um, uh, Julian Porter there isn't he doesn't really need much of an introduction I know but um, certainly his early career does because most people don't realize just you know just how much rallying and how much he was involved and how much he was competing before he started doing TV and you know there's some drivers who didn't even know which I'm not going to ruin it but some people in WRC didn't even know of his backstory uh, he's been doing some fantastic stuff on Instagram and putting pictures out and stories behind the pictures and stuff like that. So um, this podcast really probably just accompanies those pictures, I suppose, and the stories as well. And obviously hearing it directly from the man himself. So sit back, relax and enjoy uh, a great chat with Julian Porter. This is Absolute Rally. As mentioned at the top, I thought I'd get Julian Porter back, who normally comes on and talks to us about everybody else's career and what's going on in WRC and everything else. But as we know, this is strange times at the moment is the best way to put it. And, and Jules has kind of embraced it with what he's been doing on his social media platforms, putting out some stories and stuff like that. So I thought I'd at least get him to share some of the, I suppose, some of the words behind the pictures. So, Julian, welcome back to Absolute Rally. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, good to be back on, as you say, strange and uh, in different times. But it's interesting to see how different people are doing things and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's, 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 I, I, I kind of, rightly or wrongly, I've resigned to myself the fact of if we get any rallying this year, I'll be happy. Yeah. Uh-uh. Rather than going, oh, we could get 10, we could get 12. You know, this is such a strange situation and such a strange, big worldwide situation. I'm now just going on. If we get anything, that'll be a positive. It'll be a bonus. No, good on you. Good on you. I think I'm, I'm very much a, a of the same mindset have you have you delved I, I i tweeted something the other day have you have you delved into the virtual world have you gone into virtual rallying um, I, I haven't no, no. Uh, no good for you i good I, for well, you julie yeah but to be totally honest yeah, i mean I, I i was when i was looking at doing what i've done on my social media i was in and out of all the cupboards in the house and everything and i came across uh my playstation from 
Uh, I couldn't tell you when I last played on it. Well, let's say the last game I got was the, the Toka Touring Car game, which I would say must be 15, 16 years ago, if not longer. So, yeah. Alamant, you were in a, in a Renault Williams and, and things like that. So, I, I'm talking a long time ago since I played a game. And if I was to get into the racing thing now, I, I would be on hand controller because... Uh, oh, uh, I wouldn't see the benefit of me right here, right now in this situation, <laughs> buying a full seat and steering wheel and console and everything. So, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of people getting involved in it. It's maybe not my thing, but I, I think there's, I think particularly the racing ones are very good though. Yeah. Because there's, there's actually a race going on and some people have organized some very good things. You know, I, I saw one the other day advertised racing legends and they've got Peter Solberg, Dario Franchitti, Jensen Button, Montoya's in there. So, you know what I mean? There is a lot of, of in there and it's, a, it's something for people to watch. The, the esports market has definitely been a, a positive and it's definitely a booming business when there's a lot of other businesses in no man's land right here, right now. So uh, fair play for them getting themselves going and, and doing it. But it's not something for me, so to speak. It, when I was a lot younger, yes, but not now. Well, I've, I've got I've got the whistles and bells to some degree, not quite to the extreme that, that many have. But I'm still I don't know whether it's an age thing or whatever. I actually I, I tweeted the other day. I said, you know, it's all very well and good. These kids have an esports now and, and, and having all the rigs and stuff. But they've never had the pressure of trying to load the spectrum. 48k game but I'm on a cassette and not moving and not getting the volume set and right and failing to get that game to load for half a day they've never had that pressure in their lives they don't even know what it's like so no that's it and I mean and if you have a bad stage or a bad first lap or a bad qualified reset let's go again yeah Yeah, yeah. you know but it it is quite it's there's a lot of people embrace it it's given it's given a lot of people stuff to do which is which is good and you know, I look at this situation of there's going to be, well, definitely two types of people come out of this. The people who've uh, have embraced basically not having anything to do and gone out and done some walking or biking or whatever and got fitter. And then there'll be the others who've sat at home and just stuff their faces in a chocolate. <laughs> and there'll be, there could be an 8K swinging there, an 8K <laughs> swinging there, depending on how good or bad you've been, you know what I mean? But, uh, it, it is what it is, you know what I mean? But it, let, let's just see. We will, we will. Um, Neil Cole um, did the very first episode of these chats, and Neil and I uh, have known each other for a while, but we knew each other in, in, in a slightly different vein. You need to stay with me a little bit on this, Jules, because there's a reason behind why I'm saying this to you. Neil and I both did stand-up. I did stand-up for over 12 years and did the comedy circuit as Neil did. And I, I made a bit of a, an inverted commas name for myself because I used to host. I was the MC and stuff like that, and, and Neil kind of said something about you know, I've never seen, you know, you, you could get hold of a room and, and kind of sort a room out and everything else. That's what I did. That's what I was really good at. I could kind of go into any room, whether it was, you know, stag party or whether it was, you know, the local mums out for, you know, the mums night out, wherever it may be. I could kind of read a room and, and, and make it work. And what used to happen with when you were a, what, a compere or an MC is people would come up to you if you were, if you were good at the end of the night. So you should be a comedian. And because they didn't realize you were, you were, that's what you were in fact, but you were just there to host as well. That was kind of what your job was. And Neil and I kind of talked about that a little bit. And the reason why I've explained that to you is because 
I want to ask you whether anybody's actually come up to you now because of the period that we're talking about with regards to what you do for, for your living now. Has anybody come up to you? So have you ever thought about actually having a go rallying yourself? Well, I, they, they have and they haven't, but I, okay. I, I'll, I'll let you into a, a little story of, you know, even before we kind of, I mean, when we got to Mexico, coronavirus was um, something that was on people's minds, but maybe not to the degree it is now. And on the Monday in Mexico, we had a big interview session with all the drivers, uh, all I think it was nine, nine World Rally drivers came to an interview session and I had 20 minutes with each of them, one to one talked about rallies that are upcoming or meant to be upcoming uh, and, and then a couple of other little bits and bobs and we did a, a favourites thing which we're going to make into a programme currently being made right now and will be on WRC Plus depending on when this is broadcast it could be already on there or it could be out soon but uh, a, a programme based on their favourites and, and the three topics I picked for the session in Mexico was uh, favourite ever world car that done the World Rally Championship stage in the World Rally Championship and, and rally in the World Rally Championship and uh, it, it's quite interesting because we were we'd done all the drivers and Thierry Neuville was in and uh, Thierry Neuville's career started in a, in a Nova rally career which is what mine did and uh, but he said his favourite car was an, uh, a Peugeot 306 Maxi kit car and I was like, oh, my, what a great car. And, and then when we'd finished the interview, he said, oh, he said, you drove the Escort kit car, didn't you? And I went, yeah, yeah. He goes, what was that like? And I said, I said when I first drove, it was awful because it was just so aggressive. And I said, I didn't know really how to grab hold of it. And with that, in that conversation, Danny Sordo walked in and he goes, oh, what are you talking about? And Thierry went, oh, talk about what cars Julian drove when he drove. And Danny, I've known Danny now for 20 odd years. And he went, used to drive cars you were a rally driver i said yeah i never knew that wow. <laughs> and, it was, and it was kind of like you know and uh, people like yari mati latvala know it yeah i'm late to know it. but then danny sordo as i said i've worked with i don't know 17 18 years or whatever and he never realized it wow. and when this lockdown kind of came in and we knew, knew we weren't going to be doing events i thought i wonder how many other not the people need to know but I wonder how many people sit there and think, he knows quite a lot about this sport. I wonder where he gets his information and his knowledge from. So that was when I thought, you know, and I saw Dario Franchitti, who I raced with in Vauxhall Junior, raced against, not with. He was quite a further ahead of me. <laughs> but uh, uh, he started doing something about his race cars, and I thought, well, his race cars are a lot more cooler than my race cars. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Still show kind of my rallies and seasons, but tell some stories behind them. Uh, rather than just here's my Vauxhall Nova, here's my next Vauxhall Nova, here's my whatever, uh, and just kind of like tell some 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 honest truths. I mean, the, the the single seater stuff. It was good to do it, but I wasn't very good at it, and I'm totally honest, I didn't enjoy it. Open wheels just were, wasn't for me, and maybe if I'd stayed in saloon cars uh, for the, I did one year in saloon cars and a year in single seaters. If I'd stayed in saloon cars instead of going to single seaters, I might have ended up in touring cars. But it was that year at circuit racing in single seaters that kind of put me off circuit racing for a bit, which turned us to rallying. And that's where I was quite good at it, relatively good, had a bit of success and ended up now progressing to what I do now. So you, life gives you those twists and turns for a reason. But but yeah, that's Danny Sorda was kind of unaware that I, I drove and I, I'm not sure how many others know 
that I competed or or not. I don't know, but yeah, your diehards like Yerry Matilavola, they know. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and at the end of the day, it, as, as as you said in the opener, for me, my job it, it, with WRC or live and with the Euros, Eurosport European Rally Championship, my job is reporting and commenting on the current cars, crews, and stars, not basically getting information in about me. And I'm very, very careful with that, as in uh, I don't say, when I competed, this is what you did. I'll just say something like, well, I would say if you go off experience, this is what they're meaning or this is what they're going to do now. Uh, Because it's not about me. Not every fan wants to hear me going on about me. They, they, They want that knowledge. But they don't want, well, I don't believe that they want to constantly hear me going on about my days 15, 20 years ago. So I always, I remember working with someone, we were doing, we'd done Ypres three times, and I said something, and the person said, how do you know that's what happens? I said, well, because when I did this event, that's what I did. And they went, you used to drive, and you did Ypres. I went, yeah. And I went, I've worked with you for three years, and I never knew you drove. Because it's not about me. It's about everyone else. But in this strange situation, I can get it kind of out there right now. And it's not interfering with anything else. And looking at what people are saying and enjoying it, um, it, it, it seems to be going down okay. I'm not saying it's a it's a whirlwind, but uh, it, people seem to be enjoying and, and, and getting interested in what we're doing. I think, you know, and, 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 and listen, you know, I love looking back at stuff, you know, I put some stuff out on, on, on my Facebook page, it just, just because I, I, I keep mentioning this because I've done an interview with, 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 with MN and I, I'm a bit like you, I found it a bit odd to do. Um, when they asked me to do it, I wasn't entirely sure about doing it because I have a very, you know, I'm quite private away from, from, from this and I have a, a business and everything else and I like to try and keep up all very separate even kind of mentioning you know neil and i talking about what we did when we worked together away from all this was a bit 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 weird for me at the time but i kind of i guess it's it's all part of the story i wanted to ask you having obviously i've been following the pictures and stuff like that why why did you go racing before you went rallying knowing that obviously you know, the family was was very much a, a rally family, I suppose, with the history, obviously, with the Mitsubishi dealership and things like that. Why, why was racing first? Um, I, when I passed my driving test, I mean, before, like like a lot of people, before you pass your driving test, you go go-kart racing uh, and things like that. And then I passed my driving test in the October. I did a rally, I think, two weeks later uh, around an old disused army camp. And uh, it was kind of... I mean, my dad, my dad was, my dad was good, but he never ever got to massively high levels, but he was a good driver, very competent driver. I think he still ho- own, has the record at the hill climb at Harewood in his Mini Cooper S, you know what I mean, for that category of car. And it, it was, uh, my dad kind of looked at it and, and they said, it's just really difficult to get opportunities in rallying. He said, I feel there's more opportunity, or he felt there was more opportunities potentially to make a living out of it if we went racing. Uh, much more racing series and things like that, and much more manufacturer support and opportunities. It was like kind of, so what, what racing do we do then? And 
didn't really have any idea and I don't really know how it all evolved because I don't think it was me for sure. And uh, someone suggested that we go and do a week at Jim Russell Racing School, which was, uh, which was good and bad because you think you're quite good at driving and you're thinking, yeah, this is going to be brilliant. And then you've been sent away for a week. It's a weak school, but it's a racing school. It's brilliant. Uh, I was never very good at school, uh, proper school. <laughs> so going away again to school, uh, but this one with a difference. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, we had Vauxhall Astras, the two-liter Astras, blasting around Donington for hours on end each day. Uh, what a great racetrack as well. And it was just great. It was and. You did the, you did the, like the, a bit of, a little bit of media, very little bits of trade, f- uh, fitness to virtually nothing. It was mainly about racing lines and, and apexes, clipping points, uh, and, and flags. But the most thing you were doing was you were out on the track. You, for, for three or four hours a day, you were on track. And <clears throat> you'd do a few laps and you'd come back in and they would check. They, they'd go out, the instructors would go out and spot. Uh, they would come back when you came back in after a session you would go into the classroom with the instructors and they would basically talk to you about your cornering and this certain corner and you needed to be doing this and then you might even go out depending on your time restraints you might even walk out to that corner later on with the instructor and give you a little bit of tips and uh, it's the bottom of craner curves i, I is it Old Hall? I think it is now. I can't remember. The, the very fast right-hander at the bottom of the crane occurs. And I was kind of good down the crane of curves. I don't know why, but I was quite gutsy and brave down the crane of curves. But then shedding a load of speed in the right-hander at the bottom and not carrying it up the hill. And my instructor said to me, he goes, look, he said, I'm gonna, we're going to walk out to the corner. He said, I've got a tip. And I was like, right, okay. And he goes, here's the curb. There's the racetrack. He goes, to maintain your speed, he says, for the rest of the lap, he says, your left front wheel needs to be on the the curb here and your right wheel needs to go across the grass. He says, you've got to throw the car in and you've got to take the right-hand side of the car across the grass and only just keep the left-hand side of the car on the racetrack. And I was like, but that's like three-quarters of the car, so to speak, <laughs> off the racetrack. He's going, yeah, but the speed you'd be able to carry through the corner – and I'm thinking, I said, you tell everybody that. I said, because that's not the kind of thing that I would expect. He goes, no. He said, but people I can see have, have a potential talent and I think can carry it out. He said, I'll, I'll do it. So the next time out, I just launched it through this corner and it stuck and everything and you could carry whatever, 10, 12, 13 miles an hour more. And by the time you got up the hill, it was a big difference. And it was just great just having that total like, week. Uh, of it and one of the instructors at the end of the week well I did the whole year so I did the week which culminated in a race a qualifying session and a race between the the pupils of the week but then you could go back every month and you could have races with people with your level you couldn't join the crew the group that had just done their set their week so anyone who was coming back for a second session so to speak you would be in a race with the people from the second session and then the third session as he went on and I won a couple of races and then I had, I entered the, the world scholarship at the end of the year and did that. Finished second in the grand final behind Jim Russell's son. He won it and it was like, and there was a little bit of politics in there. I can't deny that because the boss's son won 
is he allowed to enter too? He shouldn't be allowed to take the prize of a full season the following year. It, it fully paid up season. He's kind of like he entered one race in the season and won it. It's kind of so. I got two races for the following year, which I never got because we then did one one-hour race, which, as I've explained in one of the stories, uh, the cam belt broke on the warm-up lap, just coming out of the Foster's hairpin up the straight into the final corner before going onto the grid. So I coasted into the pit lane. I could see all the mechanics stood on the pit wall looking for me on the pit, on the grid, and I'm parked behind them uh, with the engine in bits. Uh, so I, I actually, I, maybe we should have stayed in touring cars then, or not touring <laughs> cars, but maybe we should have stayed in saloons then. But after my year in single seaters, we just wanted to do something where, as I wrote in one of the posts, we didn't need a small army of people to to, to run it. You know, rallying you could run from your garage, your back your back garden. You know, you didn't need the corner waiting. You didn't need not in those days, not with a Peter Persia or a Vauxhall Nova. You know, it was. It was quite basic, quite pure, quite raw. It was put four wheels and tyres on it and let's just go and hammer it for 45, 50 miles and then bring it back, wash it off when, and pull it back out again. Do you know when you were racing, what, you know, obviously you can edit, you, you, you can edit the answer, answer to this one, but when you were racing, what pictures were on your bedroom wall? Um, probably Formula One pictures. Okay. As well. to, to be fair, a bit of everything. I, I love motorsport. Uh, I, I, I just love motorsport. You know, I mean, Formula One. If I just look around where I'm sat now, I've got model cars of Formula One and of rallying, you know, and, and of world sports cars. The world sports car ones are from my time of commentating at Le Mans. But I always wanted to do Le Mans. When I was racing, it was a dream to drive at Le Mans. I loved that endurance factor. Now, maybe that was a bit of the rallying coming in because of my dad doing five-day RAC rallies. I wanted to do Le Mans. Uh, I never got to do Le Mans. So I've been lucky enough to commentate on it four times. So I always buy the model of the, the winning car of the race I've commentated at. Um, so if I look around me now, there's, there's photographs of race cars, rally cars, of models of race cars, rally cars. and So I, but I, I just... My dad did a bit of, my dad did a bit of rally cross. He did a bit of hill climbing, did rallying. So it wasn't unusual that I did a bit of racing, go-karting, racing, and then into rallying. I've seen the post with regards to the, the Nova. And obviously you, you were inspired to the Nova by the late great Dave Metcalf. What, what particular was the one moment that where you see Metcalf and you thought, that's the car for me, or was it just the culmination of, of every photograph where you've seen this, this Nova at just ridiculous angles and carrying so much speed? It's, it wasn't so much photos. It was watching it on whatever it was on in those days on the British Championship. And you've got like Jimmy McRae and his escort Cosworth or Sierra Cosworth, or you know what I mean? And McRae, other Colin McRae potentially just starting in his in his Subaru days, but McRae, Brooks, people like that in there, Sierra Cosworth and things. And then you look down the leaderboard and we all like it. It's like the FA Cup in the football. You always want the underdog to win, don't you? And I'm looking there and I'm thinking, who's this guy in this in this little tiny car, Vauxhall Nova? We can all within reason we can all afford a Vauxhall Nova can't all afford a Ford Sierra Cosmetic and I'm like 
but he can do that. He don't need Ford Sierra Cosworth if he can do that. Yeah, he, he was very, very special. And you, there was a podcast that you did not so long ago, and I was listening to it, and I was out on a walk, and you were going on about drivers who inspired you. I can't remember what the topic was. And the first name that came into my mind when you said, well, if you're listening to this, who's your driver? The first person that came to my mind was Dave Metcalf. <laughs> and he was just amazing. And that was it. It, it was I, I want a Fox or Nova because I want to be like Dave Metcalf. Because if he can do it, we all can do it. Granted, we all can't. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but, you know, when, when you're young and a bit kind of enthusiastic, you, you do believe it. And uh, there's Dave Metcalf was, was like a god. And I worked very closely with Ian Grinrod. Uh, we haven't quite got to the situation at the minute in my post, but I don't know when this is going to go out. But obviously, I get to my days where I work with Vauxhall for a couple of rallies, and then I, and then I had Ian Grinrod co-drive for me on Network Q in 1986. And working with Ian Grinrod for that one rally, it was just amazing. The rally didn't go on long enough for me. Every road section we were on. We were talking about Dave Metcalf. We we're talking about Henry Toven and you know what I mean. And it was just like a big, massive lesson in rallying, <laughs> having having Ian in the car. And it was kind of not really about my rally that day or that weekend. It was about his rallies and what he'd done and who he'd worked for and 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 who he'd been in with and the stories he told. But yeah, Dave Metcalf, what a superhero. And my um. My Nova was not all the time, but if we needed certain work on it, engine rebuilds, Nigel Arnfield was at Atkinson's Motorsport building the engines. Well, obviously, Dave Metcalf was affiliated to Atkinson's Motorsport, so I went there. So that because of Dave Metcalf, because if, if his engines are in that car, he'd be able to build me one like that as well, and I'd be able to go fast. So it is straight. It is, people do influence people. They really do. I can. I've, I've got to ask you a question. I need you. I need you to put something to bed. There was a rumor at the time when you were in your Nova that you had two Novas. I I, I didn't have two. I I used two different ones. I started off like ninety two, ninety three was the same. Well, ninety two was a car. Uh, yeah. I, I couldn't tell you where we bought it, and I did two single venue rallies in it. And then we did the British Rally Championship, uh, and it all changed. We were meant to do a, a year of single venues and multi-venues, but then uh, BBC Top Gear got in touch through an advert we'd seen, and we went to do British Championship. I rolled on the first round, and we needed a new body shell. car was destroyed. So I had two body shells, but one car, right. F3, F346. Then we'd had a relatively okay year in 93 it was okay it wasn't nothing astounding at all but it was okay but because i'd done Vauxhalls with jim russell racing in the saloons then i'd done a year of Vauxhall junior then i'd done two years in Vauxhall novas rallying and you have you had the Vauxhall gsi sport challenge but also you had the Vauxhall uh the Vauxhall sport bonus scheme and that was if you won your class you got like a hundred pounds and things like that if you carried the certain decals and it was like a dealer support thing. And there was always a prize giving at the end of the year. Well, obviously, I went to this prize giving when I was with Jim Russell. I went to the prize giving when I was with Vauxhall Junior. And then the two years I had this Nova 92, 93, I went there from winning some prize money during the year for doing certain things. And it was 
I got to know John Nixie and Mike Nicholson pretty well. And John Nixie called me and he says, uh, we've got a show car that's for sale. Uh, he goes, you've done really well in your little car. But he knew my car was only a five-speed gearbox, no power steering and things like that. He goes, we've got a show car, which is up for sale, six-speed dog box, power steering, uh, as close to a works car as what you can get without getting a works car. And, and I was like, right, okay. Uh, and he goes, we'll do a very, very special price. And I was like, what's a special price? And we actually sold our older car for less, for more than we got, we paid for this newer one. Wow. Because Vauxhall were keen on helping me. And I got this car. It was still, it was still a right-hand drive one, which was great for me because I hadn't even learned left-hand drive at that point. And we had that for the 94 season. And it was a, a bit of a works car. We still ran it and everything, but as it came to us, it was, prepped and everything and uh, as near as what you could get to a works car without being in the factory team uh, so that was my second car but I never had two at one t- well I did have two at one time when I had the, the second one I hadn't sold the first one but I never had like a spare car I had two Evos <laughs> <laughs> I had an Evo through which I rallied then we had a spares car which happened to be a rolling a rolling driving car which I wreckied in and basically was our chase car in case we needed anything off it. But, uh, no, only ever one Nova. But the 94 car that the, 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 the proper all singing, all dancing car, that was it. Pure, pure racing or rallying or whatever you want to call it up against the Peugeot Challenge boys doing BTRDA and Mintex National Championship. That, that's, that, if I look back over all of it, driving the Evo for three years, driving the Escort kit car for just over a year. I'd love to go back to the Nova and just have some massive fun in that car. It was great. You could just wring the neck out of it. Uh, uh, Mal Herrick, I think it is, he did a video of our 94 season. We got, we paid him to make a video of all the clips he had. And I got it digitized only a couple of weeks ago. Basically, when I was planning this, uh, and I've watched it a couple of times, and I just thought, you listen to a racing driver, ask Lewis Hamilton, what was your best form? of motorsport and virtually all of them will tell you go-karting because it's when it was the most level the most purest the most cleanest mm. someone says to me what rally car would you like back of your day i want that nova back because it was simple you know yeah. we all turned up our novas or our peugeots on the back of trailers and it was there wasn't really damp dampers and there wasn't really kind of ride heights and and all this kind of stuff it was there's your shocker stick it on and there's the start line (laughs) go and it was just like that there was very little of this kind of like working on damper settings working on ride heights big tire pressures kind of all you know what i mean it was pure you just all got in your cars and you went rallying it was great yeah that's where i started i started with the nova as well Oh, lovely. Yeah, I know, I know. I want to just towards the end of that, because obviously the, 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 was the branding change, because they, they, obviously they, they did a bit of a thing about the GTE and the GSI, and I know you did, yeah. you did some events under the, the Vauxhall banding, didn't you do some events, did you do, did you do GB under the, under like the Vauxhall UK banner or something? Have I got that right? Yeah, unfortunately not, but you're right about the, there was a GTE GSI challenge, basically it was a grill and bumpers. Right. So, when we rebuilt with the new body shell, 
we had the new grille, the new bumpers, front and rear. The wings, the doors, and everything else was exactly the same. It was basically cosmetic headlights, grille, front bumper, and a rear bumper. And when we built the new car in 92, we built it into a GSI, even though in theory it was probably a GTE on the logbook. We had the GSI front end on it uh, and things like that. But no, I mean, we had the Vauxhall colouring to get this prize money, like through the Vauxhall bonus scheme. You had to run their colours. Um, uh, there was always a story in 94 RAC. I, I got we, – we, 94 was amazing, a, a massive year for us. We've, we won probably 90% of our events, like class-wise, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Jeff Jones, I think, was the only person to beat me fair and square twice. I retired, I think, twice, and I crashed once and kept going. Uh, but the car was very, very second hand. <laughs> and, but I still managed to finish, but it was quite way down the order. Uh, but we, for winning the National F2 Championship, you got free entry into Wales Rally GB. Uh, what network queue as it was then. And the plan was, was we were not going to do the rally unless we won the championship and got a free entry. Because why bust your backside off all year and still do the same plan? So we, we'd made a decision. We don't do the rally unless we win it unless we win the free entry. Uh, and we won the free entry uh, by winning the championship. And if we had just before, we had a, one more round of the BTRDA to do. So Tony Bardi, he completely overhauled the car and we used the North Humber side as a shakedown for Network Q. I think we finished seventh overall. Um, one, one by a minute and five, I think it was, looking back through my notes for my stories coming up. And... Won the, won the category BTRDA Gold Star by over a minute. I think we were in the top 10 overall. And I'm talking like Sierra Cosworth, Escort Cosworth and things like that. And I was sitting there thinking, why didn't we have the car overhauled completely mid-season? We'd have probably won both championships, not one. Uh, then we went to GB and Simon Redhead turned up with the new style Corsa. The kind of like bubble car style one. We had the old Nova. And... Simon Redhead had tried to get some uh, some support out of Vauxhall because he was the first person to use the Corsa and they wouldn't uh, give him any support or didn't support him. So he put on the side of his car, you can with a Nissan, <laughs> which alienated Vauxhall massively. So not that I got any help out of them and I'm not being, dis I'm not being disrespectful there. They didn't have a right to give me any support, but I didn't get any, but I had their moral support of you've got to beat that other guy. You cannot, we, we cannot, we cannot have him winning with that written on the side of the car. You've got to beat him. And, and, I, and I was winning by a couple of minutes, my class. We'd had a brilliant RAC. Oh, amazing. Absolutely brilliant. And we won most stages. We were leading by a couple of minutes. And then we had a drive shaft failure. Uh, there is a backstory to why the drive shaft failed, which I will tell in one of my, my, <laughs> my posts, but it, it was just typical privateer RAC rally kind of stuff of, of how the drive shaft broke and why it broke and how we tried to fix it the day before. I didn't realize we'd damaged the drive shaft, but, and I got told later on, and I don't know whether it was true, but it was the final day. And, uh, I was told that, John Nixie and Mike Nicholson had waited at the end of the stage because there's only three or four stages to go. They'd waited at the end of the stage to kind of give me some support and we never appeared. And they were like, no. And then when I saw them later on in the day, they were like, 
we were desperate you were going to beat that other car. And I said, so was I. And yeah, one of those things. Then as we talked about in that previous podcast, 95 was a disaster. So I did some work with Vauxhall and there was a chance with Vauxhall. If they had, because uh, David Llewellyn did a lot of testing and development with the with that new Corsa that came out. Uh, but he was in the Astra in the, in the British Championship and there was a chance. I'm not sure how big a chance. But it was talked about that if they committed to a program in the British Championship with the Corsa, I was I had a chance of driving the car as a factory driver. But then they pulled out and went full touring car racing. So it is what it is. It never appeared. You know what I mean? Uh, so that was one of the ones that potentially got away. Uh, but you never know, do you? You never know. But yeah, there was there was a chance. Some some great names you've just mentioned there mike nicholson obviously from 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 Vauxhall. john nixie is somebody who i work with in my two years with vw he ended up work, working part-time for vw racing running their program and i drove one okay. of their cars so yeah so john nixie was was was, was kind of like the team i don't know whether he was like the team manager or whatever because it was still under sam roach but uh yeah so john turned up in 2003 uh bizarrely enough and yeah i didn't realize you know when you look back and people start mentioning it, it wasn't until probably four or five years after that that they really realized his history as well and i, I was really probably I, at the time i encountered so many people and i you know of course now you can just kind of just quickly google someone and go i wonder what they did and you, yeah it's all it you didn't have that then and you you know i'm going back well you, you kind of did but the information wasn't there you know the the internet was alive and well in the early 2000 you know 2001 2002 but it still wasn't fully populated is probably the best way of putting it uh so yeah so you know just just names that now i kind of go oh god yeah god, i work with him so um so yeah but it's interesting the next step because i was talking to to, to trevor agnew only about a week or two ago about um about Asquith um, and about Richard Asquith, because obviously he went to he went there with with, with uh, Neil Whedon, um, and obviously you had uh, you 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 went to Asquith away from Vauxhall. Was that a conscious decision that because you needed to be in a different brand because of what happened with Vauxhall, or what what was the what was the rationale behind that? Uh, no, if I could have stayed with Vauxhall, I would have. I. I at that time, I'd done, as I said, my, my two years of circuit racing in a Vauxhall, and I'd done three years of rallying. I, I loved John Nixie, Brian Ash was the engineer, Mike Nicholson, uh, you know, David Llewellyn, and, and I, mean, I, I even did, in 1995, listen to this, I did gravel notes for Yarmo Keitelato in Ulster with Mike Broad. Wow. The pace notes were in Finnish. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike Broad spoke enough Finnish to understand what was left and right, etc., etc. Uh, and I drove the recce car. I drove the the recce car, and Mike Broad was the co-driver. And we went out and did Yamaha to later's notes, and uh, and just basically gave him some tips and advice. He crashed after about six stages. I'm not sure whether that was our fault or not. But, <laughs> uh, and then he never appeared for the next round. So I went out and did weather crew. Foxhall still took me, and I, me and Mike Nicholson drove around for three days doing weather crew. And it, it would have been, I wanted to stay with Vauxhall. This was in 95 when my Honda drive had ended, which we curtailed. It was nothing that the car proved itself. 
and the car went on to prove itself even more with Higgins and, and Real Weirden and Julian Reynolds and people like that. But I just couldn't drive it. I'd, I'd come out of Group A for three years, you know, and I, trying to go down to Group N where the Nova pulled from 2000 revs round to seven. The, the Civic didn't start going till seven. And it was a completely different kettle of fish. And I just, it was virtually for nothing to do it. And we had a guy helping us out. You call him a driver manager? I don't know. He basically picked up the phone to ask us and said, uh, have you got a car? Yeah, how much is it? Or whether that's a driver manager, I'm not sure. But uh, So we ended up there. And at the time, you know, factory supported to a degree. British Rally Championship, Yokohama on board. It was, I think it was costing me, I think it was costing us five grand a rally, which for a British Championship program was not a lot of money, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but we just didn't test the car. I struggled massively. We kind of, after two rounds, asked for a proper, proper test session or we were wasting our time. And it didn't come. So, mum dad and myself just said look we're just wasting our time here let's get out of it and do something else so we told them we weren't going to continue to which they said okay that's fine but you're not allowed under your contract to go and do anything else oh (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay right that was we didn't we didn't see that bit you know what i mean Uh, and then i did one other rally that year which was in a nissan micra um with uh the micro challenge it was a prize drive through autosport nissan and I went and did that, and then uh, we'd by that point decided we were going to go Mitsubishi. But if we could have stayed Vauxhall, as I said, '95, I worked with Vauxhall quite closely, and, and there was talk of this program coming with the Corsa Group A Corsa. Llewellyn was testing it and everything, and there was a chance, like I said before, that if that had continued and they'd put their backing into it, there was a big chance I was going to drive it, and I would never have had to, apart from two rallies in a Honda and one in a Nissan, I'd never have left Vauxhall potentially, but I did. And then by the time they came back, Vauxhall properly, it was Mark Higgins, Neil Weird and, uh, and the proper Astrid F2 kit car. And I, by that point, as I'd missed the boat, as not missed the boat, but I wasn't as a, as a top, top, top driver that they were looking at at that point. You know what I mean? I was sat on the sidelines. So it was just one of those things, but no, it wasn't a conscious decision to leave Vauxhall at all. I would have loved to have stayed there. Oh, 100% I'd love to have stayed there. It'd have been brilliant. I know from, obviously from, from when we spoke before that, that the Mitzi thing was obviously was a no brainer because you own the Mitsubishi garage and you know, it, 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 we, we, we all know how things can work with business and marketing and all these things. So it was obviously there's a way of helping support you and your career. But what was, was at that point, were you still, were you still thinking, there's a career in this or I still want to be, I just want to be a good national driver now. Where, where, where was the crossroads for you? Do you think at that point? Um, I'll be totally honest with you. I mean, I don't know what young, well, I do know what young drivers aspire to. I work with plenty of them and they all want to be world rally champion after four rallies, you know? Uh, I, I, I was a little bit different. I, I wanted to become a works driver in the British rally championship. And I thought if I'd achieved that, because what you've got to remember, and you know this, 96, 95, 6, 7, 8, 9, particularly 7, 8, 9, 
were massive heydays in the British Rally Championship. Huge heydays. Um, they talked about the, the days in the 80s when Vatten and Mikola, Mouton, all those lot came over. Well, we had seven or eight manufacturers in there in those three years, four years, F2 cars. You had like Subaru with their car. Mitsubishi had a bit of a representation. So did Proton in Group N. Toyota were in Group N. It was a place to be. Uh, and I was like, if I can get my rallying paid for as a factory driver, be it in Group N or p- probably wanted desperately to be an F2, that was what we were looking for. And because I knew once you got those programs, you would normally get Wales Rally GB and you might get a Finland or a, or a Corsica or a San Remo or something or a Spain. So you might get a two or three Rally World program on top of your, your British championship. So that was my aim. Make it make it big in Britain and see what I could take on from there because the World Championship was, was too far away. I mean, that's not been, uh, what's the word? That's not kind of like been kind of putting yourself down it was get to the british championship and the top of that then see where you can go because people were watching the british championship and going mitsubishi was it was a logical route uh four-wheel drive the only four drive car i'd driven at that point was the the sierra cosworth i had about four miles in at the shell scholarship which was just wow who was yeah, who, who on the scholarship when you did it because this is the, the, the photographs do you get regurgitated? Yeah, the there, there, will, there is a there is a post on my so yeah. there will be there will be a, a, a post about the, the Shell Scholarship Day. So who, who 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 was um, on your one? If you can share that with us, Scott Bradshaw, Neil Simpson, Jock Armstrong, uh, Jane Cunningham, Ryan Champion. Who's he? Uh, yeah, who's he? Um, <laughs> God, I'm trying to think who else is there. And I always remember it was basically to turn up with your own car. Uh, okay. You did some mileage in your own car around at Silverstone, and then you would do some mileage in the Group N Shell, Shell Scholarship Sierra uh, Escort Cosworth, and and I I we all believe we should win, and but I'd done I'd had huge media because I was winning my class so regular, I'd had a lot of coverage that season uh, in the A6 class because all the Peugeots I was up against, a majority of them were in. A7, because they were 1.9s, I was in a 1.6, but I was mixing it, because mine was a Group A car, not a Challenge car, so I was really mixing it with the Peugeots, so a lot of people were looking at it as a bit of a giant killing act, even though my car was an a, a Group A car, where there was a Group M+, plus, so to speak, you know what I mean? So I was seen as a bit of a giant killer, and we got a lot of press on it. Peter Foy, who was co-driving for me that year, was working really hard on the media side. We were doing press releases before and after. We were really pumping out information. And I read through the Shell Scholarship Motor News Report, and it said that I'd excelled in my own car. I'd excelled in the media side of it and the interviewing side of it. It was basically driving the Group NS Cosworth, which, if you read the report, which lost it for me. Uh, because I'd never driven left-hand drive before in my life. And I'd never driven a four-wheel drive turbo car uh, at all. And I remember getting in this thing, and and Jimmy McRae was the co-driver that day. And Jimmy said to me, he goes, I don't want you to drive this car. I said, I've seen you can drive by what you showed me in the Nova. He goes, I do not want you to. He said, I just want to see you're competent, and you're not going to have an accident. And I probably went at the Cosworth too gently. You know, I probably was too careful. Uh, Instead of been a bit flamboyant, a bit flair, and showing him I could drive it. 
I was too careful. I ultimately probably that cost me. Jock and Neil are very, very good drivers. You can't deny it. The whole bunch of them were very good drivers. But I would say if I'd had a bit of experience in four-wheel drive before that, or, or even left-hand drive before that, because I got into – everything was brand new. You know what I mean? The, yeah. the, the, the left-hand drive and the four-wheel drive turbocharger, I'd not driven anything like that. So that was where I'd let myself down. Yeah, I suspect if it was kids of today, they'd go and hire a car for I a was test. Just, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking. But, you know what you were saying that? I was yeah. thinking, yeah, you can imagine it now. Yeah, that's they, they would work. They would know what they were going to drive. Right, I'm going to go and test for two days in the car. Yeah. Uh, but we, we weren't doing that. We weren't even testing. The, the first time you drove the car was down to scrutineering or on the start of the start line of stage one. I, I never did a test. Even when I was in the Group N Mitsubishi, I never did a test. You were driving the car for the first time in competition on stage one. That was the first time since you'd parked it up at the finish ramp from the previous rally. There was nothing like it. These these guys and girls now who are doing two or three day tests before rallies, it's a different world. It is a different world. I'm not saying it's a I'm not saying it's a better or a bad worse world, but it, it, we it was literally start line the first stage you hadn't driven the car in action in, in angus since the previous rally be, be, before before we, we move on i've got to ask you, you, you the aforementioned ryan champion who, 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 who you do hear his voice on this podcast from time to time mm. has to be said um how the hell did he end up as your co-driver <laughs> on one yeah. of them? I, I did a bit of research and i thought yeah. have i misread that no um Basically, was it, was it 97 or 98? 96 it was. Was it 96? 96 track rod, yeah. 96 track rod. And uh, sorry, cut a long story short, track rod was our biggest local rally. And I fancied doing it. And we put in an entry. And I think I was car 90. I, I don't know why, but I, don't, I, I, I didn't start car. It was a, it was a late entry. I, I don't know what happened. Late entry. And Eric Evans was my co-driver. I'm sure he was my co-driver. Anyway. Julia. Julia couldn't do it. Julia couldn't do it because she was doing the Mintex National Championship with Steve Hill. So she couldn't do it. Uh, She was doing British Championship with me. So I basically wanted to do the rally but didn't have a co-driver. Peter Foy couldn't do it. Julia couldn't do it. So... uh, I was like, I can't do it. And Ryan was going out with my sister. And Ryan was at the house. And I'm talking the Thursday or the Wednesday or the Thursday before the rally on the Saturday. And it, it, my sister must have said to him, oh, June's going to have to pull out the rally because uh, he can't find a co-driver. And Ryan just turned around and said, I'll do it. And I went, you are? He goes, I'll do it. And I went, he goes, I know Yorkshire really well. And I went, okay. And I was thinking... I don't know whether this is a good or a bad thing. Because me and Ryan were against each other in the British Championship in our cars. Yeah. And I'm like, and I thought, well, there's nothing to hide. It's a Group M Mitsubishi. He was in a Subaru. It was Group M Mitsubishi. I had nothing to hide. So I thought, I said, okay, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, just go and have a bit of fun. That's all we're going to do. Just a little bit of fun. <laughs> and I remember Ryan, he, I think it was his first year in Group N as well. And uh, I remember him saying to me, after a couple of stages, he says, uh, buy the gearbox is good on this car. 
because the, the Subarus are famous for breaking gearboxes. They're having a gearbox a day. We are having the same gearbox for the whole season. You know, there was there were the Evo three was built for to be made into rally car, whereas the Subaru was a road car made into a rally car. And uh, everything was just it, the the Evo was very good. And I remember halfway right, after two or three stages, we'd agreed not to look at any stage times. And whenever I asked him, well, "Oh, how are we doing?" Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, "What do you mean you don't know?" And he was, like, "I don't know," but it, it felt good. You know what I mean? We'd had a couple of big big pushes and things like that, and. <laughs> I remember Steve Petch coming up to me, who was like the Mintex National Group N Championship leader, and I was doing British Championship, and so this is my one-off. And Petchy turned around and said to me, "We'll wait with stage delay." And he came up to me, he goes, "He said I'm pleased you haven't been around all season." He said, "Because you're making us look very, very second-rate." And I went, "You are? What do you mean?" And he goes, "Well, you're pretty leading the class by over a minute. We've only done three stages or whatever." And I looked at Ryan, and Ryan went. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> and I went, you what? He goes, he says, yeah. He said, we're, we're leading quite comfortably. And I went, really? Because it felt okay, but it hadn't felt that good. But when you've done British Rally Championship against Higgins and David Mann and Johnny Milner, your level does go up. And then when you come to a, even though the national championship is, is a very good level, when you're working at a high level and then you come down, you, you should star to a degree and I, I just remember Ryan was like can't believe it and we looked at it we were fourth overall Chris Mellers Escort World Rally Car someone else Escort World Rally Car Steve Smith Lancia Delta Integrale Group A X Factory Car Julian Porter Ryan Champion Group N Evo 3 and then a whole string of Group A Escorts and, and Lanciers and things like that behind us and we were like Bloody hell, this is quite, this is quite interesting. Uh, I, I just remember we had a great time leading by miles and uh, the class group N. And we weren't far away from Steve Smith in third. We were not far away. And we had Duncan Park to go, one stage to go. And uh, Ryan goes, let's just bring it home. And I said, I know this stage really, really well. And I have a feeling, and I might be wrong, but I have a feeling we even put racing tyres on. Uh, because I'd been in Duncan Park before in the Micra and I'd run racing tyres and I'd been the quickest when everyone else had stayed on gravel tyres. And I said, we're going to go racing tyres. He was like, we don't need to take the gamble. We don't need to take the gamble. We're leading by miles. I went, no, but we can get Smithy. We can get Smithy. We can get 30. Yeah. And he goes, you're going to have to be some drive. You're going to have to be some drive. I said, we'll get him. We'll get him. And uh, I went off on the last corner. Because oh. <laughs> we'd been watching the, the cars before as we were waiting on the start line and as you were starting the next car was appearing and you could kind of work out and basically as we started steve smith hadn't appeared and then when we got to that point the next car was still on the start line so we knew we were quick and i was thinking we got a chance of getting it and i remember the long the last corner was a tarmac corner long 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 uphill right hander and I was hanging on, and Ryan said, just can't back it off, back it off, back it off. And I was thinking, no, 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 the finish is just around the corner, the finish is just around the And I lost it on the grass on the outside, and we spun past the red boards, but on the outside. Uh. And we missed, the, we missed the boards, so we didn't finish the stage. We went off down this embankment into these thick bushes, and we couldn't see the road or anything. We were probably, I don't know, 
eight, ten meters down from the road. And I said, where do we go from here? And Ryan went, surprisingly, I've never been here before. <laughs> and I was like, I went, which way? And I tried to launch it back up the hill and couldn't get back up the hill. So I came back down in reverse and bushing, banging through all these bushes and field and everything and gradually found our way back up to the road and blasted to the finish, having dropped whatever, a minute. Still won the class, still finished fourth overall. And I said to Ryan, I said, but we went past the boards. He went, yeah, but we weren't inside the boards. I went, but that doesn't matter. Tell them we went past the boards. <laughs> and he was going, it ain't going to work because as a marshal going to be able to tell them that we didn't go through the boards. Uh, so anyway, that was that. But yeah, so that's how Ryan ended up with me. We had a great day. We did have a great day. <laughs> it, sound, it sounds like to be fair. It sounds okay. like to be fair. So. Listen. I, I want to fast forward on a little bit because, it, and the reason why is because it's my favourite period. You talked about the, the kind of this this kind of mid to late nineties for for F two, um, and obviously the, the the potential near miss of maybe if you were to stuck around at Volkswagen. Um, I know said Volkswagen. That's me talking about Volkswagen before with Vauxhall. But you got an you got an escort kicker. Yeah. How does that happen? What what happens in Julian Porter's world after two and a half years in an Evo? Does he end up in an escort kick out? Tell me about what happens. Where's the phone call? Where's, we, we, I, I, this is the this is the goal for me as far as I'm concerned. And 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 if I do any training with junior drivers, I regurgitate this story, right? Because like between me and my brother, and, and as I mentioned already, Peter Foy, um, before and after, from basically '94 onwards, when Peter joined. Before and after every rally, he did a press release about we're going to this rally. We're currently in this position in the championship. We've won these rallies. This is the rally. This is what it's set up out to be, how many stages, all that. Got back from the rally, and he did a press release. You know what I mean? A couple of photos yep. that we got from a, from a photographer. And then when he couldn't continue with me in the Evo days because of work commitments, uh, my, my brother took it on. Me and my brother just took it on and – Every rally, before every rally, press release out. And I'm talking to the British Rally Championship teams, uh, M Sport, uh, as well as M Sport, Ford World Rally Team, Mitsubishi World Rally Team, anybody I could get that out, and journalists, motorsport news, autosport, anybody. There was, I'd stand there, whatever it was, the Monday or the Friday before the, so I wanted to try and hit motor news and autosport the week of the rally. So it, the Friday the week before, that would go out to the press, and then the Monday of the rally, it would go out, well, normally you'd be out wrecking, so it would be the Friday before, yeah. It would go out to everybody, and then the Monday night after the rally, I'd stand by the fax machine in the garage in the parts department and send 20, 30, 40 faxes or whatever, typing in individually the numbers, sending the fax through. And it was, and it was each one was individually addressed. It wasn't just one it was the press release was in the press release was one, but I'd hand write out the fax copy, the, the cover sheet. Yep. So I remember those days. Yeah. So it <laughs> would be kind of the number it was going to, the company, the person it was for, and it would be, dear Malcolm, just to let you know, here's my press release for the for the the the, the previous weekend's rally, which was the Vauxhall Rally of Wales, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I I wrote every one of those out, uh, and then sent the same press release. And anyway, 
1998, we're doing the British Rally Championship, and we, I don't know, we couldn't obviously win the Group N Championship. I think that had already been won because we probably would, well, we probably still would have taken it. And I, I can, I can tell you exactly where I was. And uh, Chris Wood had rang me. Uh, Chris Wood, who co drove for Alice McRae, Martin Rowan, he'd rang me. He was doing a driver program at uh, Redworth Hall, not far away from me, for Vauxhall. And a lot of his people had got lost on this day, and they needed someone local to lead the train of traffic around a designated route. Chris Wood rang. He said, how far are you away from Redworth Hall? I said, oh, only a few minutes, not far. Oh, can you come and meet me? I've got this day's work for you, a couple of days' work for you. Right, okay, no problems. So I set off to Redworth Hall, and my phone rang again. And I was like, yeah, Chris, I'm on my way kind of thing. Because I just did. And it was Alex Catamall from Ford Racing. And I'm talking Wednesday night, Thursday night, one week before the rally started. Because I think it was supposed to be Thursday, Friday, Saturday was the Manx. So one week before the rally started. And I was like, oh. Oh, hi, how, how are you doing, Alex? And he goes, I'm good, how are you? And I was like, yeah, very, very good, yeah. And he goes, this phone call, he says, is what you've hopefully dreamed of for for your whole life. And I was like, right, go on, and cut a long story short, they'd got rid of their number two driver uh, from the car. Whether there was a monetary problem, I, I don't know, a personality problem, I, I don't know what it was. And he goes, but I need a driver for the Max next week. And he goes, and you have religiously sent me your press releases before and after every rally with a personal note on them. He goes, and I need a driver. And he goes, you're quick enough. He said, but you've marketed yourself so well. He says, you deserve the opportunity. Do you want to drive the car? And I was like, I, I, I tell any youngsters, I did some work with the junior WRC drivers in Sweden this year. That is part of my speech of you need to tell everybody who you are because when that guy, when Alex Catamol needed a driver at very, very short notice, my name had popped up in his radar 12, 15 times each year for three or four years. And he had my phone number and everything to hand. And he called me. Uh, I had to take the, the code. They could only change one part of the entry. So I had to take... The co-driver, Sean Kelly, who was already down to drive the co-drive the car. We had obviously stuck with the escort, which you would. And then uh, they changed us the driver. And, and I remember I met Chris Wood and he goes, all right, are you OK to do this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah no problems, Chris. Yeah, I'll, I'll be here in the morning. And he goes, is everything OK? Yeah. And I, I couldn't tell him what it was because I didn't know how top secret it was. But he, he must have thought this kid's a bit spaced out from what I normally kind of know. And. And I was like, kind of, and it was a, it was Ford Motor Company entry, you know what I mean? Factory drive. Yep. Um, only thing I had to supply was a recce car. I didn't have a left-hand drive car. The Escort was left-hand drive. So I rang Ryan, because Ryan had a left-hand drive legacy. I said, Ryan, I need to tell you something really top secret. I said, I need to borrow a left-hand drive car for the Max Recce. And I told him what it was, and he went, yeah, I can't remember whether he brought it over for me or whether I went and got it. But fair play, Ryan lent me his car, his recce car, for me to spend a week in a left-hand drive car and do the recce in. And uh, so, yeah, anybody out there, if they don't think the power of the media uh, and things like that, and, and basically making sure everyone knows who you are, 
it, it, it's essential. It is essential. I know it's maybe different now because there's so many different categories, but that's how I went from a Group A, a Group N Mitsubishi Evo 3 to a, a full factory supported one-off on the Manx uh, in an Escort kit car. Obviously, my big sponsor was Pirelli. They, they backed me. They paid for my tyres two years. I'd not paid for a tyre for two years. This car was backed by Dunlop. I had to ring Pirelli up and say, look, I've got a bit of an issue coming up. I've been offered this drive. And fair play to Martin Palo. He went, mate, this is what we've dreamed of. He goes, I know it's the wrong yellow. He goes, but we can make it the right one next year. And, and he, Martin even came because he was due to come as a guest with me in the Mitsubishi, like as our guest program we used to put on. And he still came. And he still came and stood in the service park and chatted and we, we met up most evenings and things like that to talk about stuff. And, and yeah, it, it, it was, it was great. All the mechanics came who were meant to be coming because all the accommodation was booked and everything. The ferry was booked for the, the chase car. So they all came over and just watched the rally and sort of worked on it. So it was kind of like, uh, yeah, big thing. I, I, I remember I, I went to Bolan Motorsport who were running the car on behalf of Ford. Uh, there, that car and Liam O'Callaghan's, and I remember driving it in kind of round, uh, I can't think of the village now, Colne and places like that, I can't think of, but Bar Barn Arleswick. And Warren was the, the engineer, mechanic, not engineers in those days, were mechanics, and I remember Warren coming out with me, and I was sat there and I was getting used to everything, obviously sequential gearbox and all this kind of stuff, and I went, yeah, yeah, it'd be great, great, had a seat fitting. Next time I saw the car was when it was parked a bit uh, shakedown, and the shakedown run stage was the mines. Because it was a factory entry, I was car number 11, uh, so there was no kind of hiding that I was there. Uh, new co-driver, new car, new tyres, new team, everything was new. And I went down this piece of road on the mines. I remember leaving the start line and about crashing within about 12 metres because of the torque steer. It was just going all over the place. And that road is really kind of unsettled anyway. Th three miles later, it was a remote service on the side of the road. Warren leans in the car. What's it like? I said, it's bloody awful. And he goes, what do you mean? What's wrong? I said, it's all over the place. I said, any contour on the road. And I said, and it just pulls and grabs. And I said, and it spits me out to the other side. He went, yeah, that's the world of Formula 2. And I went, I don't know whether I can do this. He goes, of course you can. And I said, well, I don't know whether I can do it very well. <laughs> and he was like, of course you can. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I remember Philip Boland, lovely guy, absolutely larger than life, pretty guy. He goes, what's wrong? I went, it's awful to drive. No, 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 no. It'll be fine. It'll be, if they can all do it, so can you. And I, I did the job I had to do, which was not crash it and get some points. And, and I did that. But I was outside of the top 10. I was way below where the car should be. But I, I sent out the press. Well, before I sent out the press release at the end of the Manx, Alex Catamull took me to one side and he goes, the car's yours for next year if you want it. He said, you've done everything we want, wanted you to do this weekend. He says, and you will get faster. He says, so I can offer you a, a car for next year with a, with a spares package for your charge and this and that. He says, if you want to bring Pirelli on board, he said, you can bring Pirelli on board. He said, you can run it for any team you want. He said, but the car's yours uh, with a certain degree of kind of support from, from Ford. So, that's, so that was what it was, yeah. Kind of 
dream drive and, and then they were animals oh man uh, they were animals driving uh, Craig Breen sent me a text oh, it was about three years ago because Craig had found where the car is I can't remember who has it now and he sent me a picture of it and he goes I envy you he goes I might drive some of the best cars in the world as in the world championship he goes but you drove one of these he goes these he said I would I would love to drive one of these things uh, and yeah it was a very 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 golden era you know say at Renault Volkswagen, Ford, all of these big manufacturers in there with two or three car teams. And yeah, the Escort at that time, it was a year old when I drew, uh, no, two years old. Gwyndaf debuted it, didn't he, in 97 in the silver response colors. Yep. And then he went to Seat 98. They ran it in 98 and then 99. So it probably had no development on it once Gwyndaf left, if we're honest. So... But it was still great to drive. I mean, it was it was awesome. It was brilliant. And um, yeah, Jim Clark, Manx, Ulster. Do, I, I remember doing a rally in the, in the Isle of Man, a test rally. Uh, God, who co-drove for me? It was a local guy co-drove for me. Oh, man. I need to look at the picture on the side of the car to see the name. And I remember we did the, we did the recce. It was just a, it was kind of like a, a starting in the evening. He did one evening Friday. Uh, into the night and then you did a day the next day and it was a great test until I crashed and then it wasn't a very great test but um, I, I remember the, I can't remember the co-driver's name now oh man I remember we did the first stage and he went wow because I've never ever been up that piece of road as fast as I in my life and then during the next stage, he was kind of like, I've never been around that corner as fast in my life. And this kind of went on and went on every stage we did. I've never been down there as fast in my life. And then when we had this sizable shunt on Saturday morning, and he went, and I've never had a crash as big as that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, f- fab cars, great cars. And we did a... We did, I mentioned already, we were talking with drivers in Mexico about favorite cars and favorite rallies and things like that. And Elvin Evans, I said, what car would you love to drive of any car? And he goes, I'd love to drive my dad's Maxi Escort kit car that he had in 97. And I smiled and he looked at me and he goes, what? I went, I've done something. Bear in mind, at that point when I did the interview, Elvin was the world championship leader. Because that was before, I went, I've driven something that the world championship leader wants to drive. <laughs> that was my claim to fame. <laughs> wow. But, but yeah, oh, ace cars, great. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a go in it again. Uh, but I think if I was to buy something back, I'd buy a Nova back, uh, I'll buy my Nova back. But yeah, to get all of the Escort would be lovely as well. But can, I mean, brilliant. Can I just, 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 just to finish it, unfortunately, we are, we are getting to that point. But the end of 99 was obviously that was it. Was that a very conscious decision at that point, Jules, for you? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, the only, the, 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 we, had, we, had, we had one big decision to make and the escort had come to the end of its life. And uh, I don't know whether Alex was still at, Alex Catmull was still at Ford or not, but basically the Puma was there. Puma was on stream. It was coming. It was ready to rally. And they said to me, we, we're happy for you to take a Puma. And I was like, right, but this car's brand new. I've done everything you've asked me in 98 on the Max. I've done everything you've asked me in 99. You know, I finished top privateer in the championship. Everyone ahead of me was a fully-fledged factory paid-up driver. 
and we had some of those behind us. I think we finished sixth or seventh in the championship. Everyone else behind me was still a factory driver or or there was no one in front of me who was not being fully paid up. And they said, oh, well, we, we, well, we're happy to hire you a Puma. And I said, I'm not hiring a Puma that's brand new, un, 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 unknown. You know, I know that when they were testing it, they'd had quite a few failures, you know. And I said, I'm not going to do some British Championship rallies in a car that I've still got to pay the entry fee. I've still got to pay the mechanics, the hotels, the recce. And then it might break down in the first stage. I said, I don't mind if you give me the car free and we have some kind of agreement. And they were like, no, 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 no. You need to hire the car. And I'm like, but I'm coming off a deal where I didn't hire a car. I got a car free. So we kind of had a little bit of a look around and, yeah, maybe I should have done the Puma deal. But I felt I'd done enough in the British Rally Championship and I'd been to a point where I was getting a free car. Why should I then step back? to not get a free car and be in a 1.6 car, not a two litre car. And when we still had two litre cars, so you were never going to win rallies outright. You were only going to win your category and you were against the Peugeot 106 maxi kit car, which was fully finished and fully furbished and everything and was dominant. So I said, I, I played hardball, but I said, look, I, I don't mind getting the car for free and paying the running costs, but I'm not going to pay to hire a car that we don't know has got no stability and no reliability in it. And they obviously f were quite keen to get the car hired out. So I spoke to Proton. We were very close to Proton deal. Uh, because Martin from Pirelli said he would, they were sponsored by Yokohama, I think, or Dunlop at the time. And Martin said he would match the, the Dunlop deal and then more. Uh, I think we were giving them 300 tyres for the season or something, 30 grand budget we were going to give them, was Pirelli who was going to give them. And, uh, we were very close to driving the Proton with Hockley's and then that fell very late in the day that fell by the wayside. And by that point, there wasn't really much else going on. So it was a, a decision to kind of sit out the first couple of rounds and wait for other people to run out of money or have some crashes and get picked up like I got picked up for the year before. So that was my conscious decision. My mum wasn't very happy with it, uh, but I wasn't prepared to fork out a, a more and more and more money. Even though I probably could have got it from sponsors and suppliers, I felt I'd earned my keep, so to speak. And whether that's right or big-headed or not, I wasn't expecting a salary, but I felt I'd done enough to kind of at least maintain the same deal. And it was while I was sat waiting for something to do that Cliffy Simmons called me. Oh, what are you up to? Told him what I was up to. And he goes, why don't you come and help us on the World Rally Championship doing the TV work? He said, if you're not doing any rallying, and I was like, yeah, great. I'll go and do that. So uh, they rang me. Oh, can you come to Spain? Can't come to Spain. I'm already going to Spain for Natalie Barrett. All oh, right. Oh, can you go to Greece? I'm already going to Greece with Natalie Barrett. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This isn't, you know what I mean? They rang me twice and I can't do both of them. Uh, but I got my mate in, uh, a guy who I hadn't grown up with, with my brother, uh, one of my brother's best friends, Angus Forbes. I got him to cover me in Spain and Greece. And then they asked him to do all the others, Argentina, New Zealand. And basically, he couldn't do New Zealand. And I got my opportunity to go to Rally New Zealand, my first rally representing WRC TV. Uh, I went there. And this is all now July. And I hadn't even had a sniff of a drive competitively. 
So I sat there and thought, did New Zealand, then got offered, that was the last rally of Bernie Eccleston's FOM. And then North One Sport, Chrysalis TV, as it was in those days, they took over. Bernie, uh, Dave Richards took over from Finland 2000. And I was offered a job for the rest of the season with them as a camera assistant. And that year we had Cyprus Rally. And I remember moving from one stage to the next and coming across Alistair McRae rebuilding his car on the side of the road. So we stopped and we did some filming of McRae trying to fix his own car. And I did an interview. And the bosses saw this. They were like, wow. Like, I mean, in the TV bosses, not David Richards. The TV bosses go, what? They fixed their own cars. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, because he was on a road section. He has to. And then all of a sudden, the penny dropped with them of how much I knew. And how much I knew these drivers like Alistair because I competed with them. And they got this great interview. And then for the next rally, they said, why don't you hang around on road sections and try and capture some more of this? Which then evolved to rather than hanging around on road sections, let's just go to the end of the stages and do stage and state interviews and find out what drivers got a problem and then follow them rather than just picking a random driver. So that's how stage ends evolved massively in the WRC. And I sat there at the end of 2000, having not had a competitive drive. I was getting paid to travel around the world on the World Rally Championship, working with your likes of Richard Burns and people like this and Colin McRae, Marcus Gronholm, Tommy McKinnon, having a pass that enabled me to walk into the teams and do these interviews. And I was, my management at that time were like, this kid seems to know everything that's going on. And more importantly, he knows these people personally, these drivers. He can get stuff we can't. We've got to keep him. And I very quickly made the decision of, I'm 27 years old or 28. Very young to be stopping as a rally driver, as we all know. Loeb didn't win his first world championship until he was 30. Nick Gronholm, 34, 35. And I made a conscious decision then. I can potentially, as long as I don't upset anybody and I work hard, I can do this for the rest of my life. I can be a rally driver for the rest of my life, but I won't be on deals. You know what I mean? I'll be fully paying for my rally. I wouldn't be on like deals which are supported. So I then said, right, I'm concentrating on World Rally TV and I'm going to use my experience into that. And that's what I did. And I've never, from the Manx 99, never officially come. I have done drive days. But I have never officially done a rally since as competitor. Jules, thank you for rounding it up so nicely. Where can people find these pictures if they're not already looking at them? Uh, I'm, I'm basically them on my Instagram page, uh, which is Julian underscore Porter. Uh, it is linked to my Twitter, but because the stories are so long, I needed to run them from my Instagram. So the main post is on Instagram and it filters out through Twitter. I didn't link it to Facebook because I'm just inactive on Facebook. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, that's the way it is. Jules, thanks so much. No problems, thank you. This is Absolute Rally. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Julian. Um, I did. There was stuff I didn't know about there, and um, yeah, it's just good to chat with somebody really about rally, and it, it, that one very much felt like a proper chat. Um, we're continuing a very similar vein. Uh, next week, we've it's kind of a double bubble next week. We've got two guests next week, um, one of which was mentioned um a few weeks back well i've mentioned them numerous times and uh in an interview i did uh about a month ago over here in the uk for for motorsport news and it was about how i'd started in rallying and, and you know without one person in particular uh, a guy called john goff i would probably have never got 
to, to do some of the things that I've done. And um, I wouldn't like to put a number on how many people he's got into a rally car over the last 30 years through various schemes that he's run through the rally school he used to own and various other ways. And, you know, he, he was always keen at, to get people in at the, at, at, right at the grassroots level. And th- there's probably nobody who's done more of that than uh, John Goff in the UK. So I have a little chat with John, which is always strange when you know somebody really, really well. But uh, nevertheless, we thought we'd, 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 we'd have a chat and uh, see whether I could learn something new. And I suppose a little bit about his background as well. And, and um, yeah, so a little bit more on that. And um, one thing that has been going on quite a lot during lockdown for me as well is um, spending time with my son, which is amazing. Johnny is is a proper little boy, loves cars, loves his rally. And we've been putting our own little rallies on with his cars, but he's very much now obsessed with, with, with minis. And it kind of got me thinking about minis. Mini was one of the very first cars I had and certainly worked on as well. But um, there's there's a bit of a backstory, which is uh, to all this, is that um, Neil Burgess, who some of you may or may not know, I don't really know, but Neil was the, the you'll see him around WRC, you'll see him certainly around BRC over the years and things like that, you know, working behind the scenes, but uh, obviously competed himself. And he was the last man, to drive a mini in international competition on um, Rally GB uh, a few years back now. And um, there's a story being regurgitated recently and it kind of reminded me just how much, you know, mini's been involved in my family history as well. So um, I was kind of just bouncing a few messages back and forth and I thought, you know what, let's just get Neil on and get him to tell us about being the man to, to, to finally... I suppose it'd be the the last man to, to to put a mini through international an international rally. Obviously, the original mini. So um, so Neil's going to be joining us as well. So it's a bit of a double bubble for you next week. The sentiment's still exactly the same. We're still trying to raise money where we can, and whether it's a pound, whether it's ten pound, wherever it may be, um, if you can help uh, in any way, shape, or form. And I realise it's a really tough time for, for for lots of people at the moment. Whether you've been furloughed or you've been laid off from work, whatever it may be. So it might not be an ideal time. If, but if you can spare something, please, please, please do something. Um, because uh, I just think anything we can do, making a difference to, 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 to helping people. So, um, so yeah, so that's going to be next week's podcast anyway. But um, in the meantime, keep spreading the love, keep spreading the word. If you could hit the subscribe button, it does help. If you could leave us a review, that also helps, believe it or not. Uh, but we'll be back same time, same place, in your little podcast hole next week. Absolute Rally, powered by the Keel the Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.